Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. Each episode features a discussion of current topics from the latest consumer trends and new products uh, to shifts in markets and lifestyles. I'm Andrew McDougall, a regular podcast host uh, and normally working in the beauty and personal care sector at Mintel. And I'm delighted today to be joined by my esteemed colleague, Sam, who you'll also recognize uh, from the Mintel Little Conversation podcast. So welcome, Sam. Hello. I'm very excited slash nervous having you on here today because obviously as a podcast host yourself, I feel weird hosting you today. <laughs> yeah, taking the lead. And to be honest, I, I feel like I am very used to these days just sitting back and letting the guests do all of the work. So this, again, feels a little bit more daunting. Today you will be doing the work uh, and a lot of the heavy lifting, Sam. I will try and help you. But please as well, if you want to host at any point and take over that, then please feel free to. I feel like I should probably mention, um, as you're well aware, as we discussed off camera just beforehand, uh, this is actually our 100th episode which is quite cool. And actually, I'm quite glad as well in the nicest way possible. I'm really glad that it's you and I on this podcast because we're sort of, we were there since it's sort of inception, really. That's so the start of the, the little, uh, little little conversation podcast. We were there along with uh, Andrew Davidson, who unfortunately can't join us today. Uh, and we've had many, many brilliant hosts over the years. Um, but yeah, it's great to sort of be sitting down with you now and be talking about episode number 100. Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground in the last, uh, I think, four seasons spread over however many years. So, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to shine a light on some of the old episodes that I guess are as relevant now as, as they ever were. Well, that's exactly what I wanted to do, actually, because I know we've been looking at the last 99 episodes just to see sort of the different areas of covered. It's amazing, actually, looking back at some of the episodes we did in Series 1 and Series 2, so sort of, you know, three, four years ago that some of those episodes are still really relevant now. So later on, so not right now, but later on, I th- it would be nice to pick your brains and maybe go over and recap some of our favorite episodes. I think that'd be quite a nice thing to do. Um, but it would also be quite nice to kick off um, looking, though, at some of our global 36 market data that's just come out for 2022, because it's sort of fresh data that we have. And one of the key sort of areas and the key sort of topics that I wanted to focus on right now is value. Because um, I know we in the working in the beauty sector, we've been focusing a lot about value. We get a lot of questions around what value means to consumers and what it's going to mean for shopping going forward. Uh, but that is true, I think, right across consumer, right? So this this concept around value, I thought, would be a really interesting one um, to focus on. So I wanted to just sort of kick off and have a look and see what the data is saying uh, and pick your brain and maybe give some of my own suggestions as to what we see this meaning for the future. Uh, now, one of the really interesting things I did find out from doing our or looking at our global 36 market data, um, which we do run every six months, is that when we ask consumers about their anxieties, um, the big ones that you would expect are normally chart top. So people are worried about their family's well-being. They're worried about their own health, particularly after the pandemic as well. We saw that was a, a big one for a lot of people. And finances as well are always quite a big topic that people are a bit anxious or worried about. But what we have seen in the 2020, March 2022 data compared to the September 2021 data is that people are a little bit more worried about their finances now, understandably given cost of living sort of and different sort of financial situations globally. Um, so it's a really interesting sort of topic to look at. Is there anything in particular in value that's or, or around that value topic and around finance that strikes you at the moment, Sam? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's it's scary times ahead for consumers, and you know, challenging times ahead for brands. And I think the one thing that, as you said, is on everybody's mind at the minute is value and how you actually get value or how you convey value as a brand. And actually, the one thing that comes up time and time again is not focusing solely on price. So price is obviously hugely important, and especially in the situation that we are in at the minute where consumers are going to be really questioning but you know what they're buying why they're buying those products and i think what's going to come through is that and it goes hand in hand with some of the trends that we saw come through in the pandemic around consumers really starting to question what they're buying that little bit more so less buying for the sake of buying so really thinking about actually do i need this product or is there alternative products that i can buy that would be better or do i need to buy anything at all so it's where things like discretionary buying comes into question but at the same time there is that idea of you know consumers just need to lift their mood as well so there will be those inevitable treat factors and that's something that we obviously talk about a lot in beauty you know lots of clients coming to us at the minute asking you know is the lipstick effect going to be the same this time around are people going to be buying lipstick to make themselves feel better and the likelihood is yes it might not be specifically lipstick but they will probably be looking for some kind of treats that they can get regardless um and also on top of that i think there's an element of consumers are more savvy than they've ever been before you know consumers are really i do they do think consumers are more savvy in terms of knowing and criticizing and calling out brands so things like you know transparency around pricing so mm. if you're going to raise your prices then be transparent and tell your customers about it don't try and slide it past them because they will know um and they will you know, they will react positively to that. So we did some really interesting research in beauty and personal care brand called The Ordinary um, told its customers back in, I think it was in January on social media that it was going to raise its prices. So it gave them a, all of its customers a kind of two week notice periods so that if they wanted to stock up before it put its prices up, then they would have the opportunity to do so. And we did some research on that and the, the findings were overwhelmingly positive. Consumers saw that as a really nice action from the brand consumers really understand that brands have to rise increase their prices but actually that they just want the brand to consider them in that process and really think about you know how they can make that transition as easy for the consumer as possible i think that's a really interesting topic on the transparency issue in terms of obviously we're not we're not saying that everyone is ha happy with price rises mm -hmm. but we do understand those price rises are going to happen so it's nice to know i think sometimes we've seen it very well in the fashion industry they do it very well where you'll see companies i think it is everlane who sort of detail on their website about how much the raw materials cost to buy how much the labor cost the logistics the transport everything around that and they also quite clearly say as well this is the profit we're making because let's be honest again i mean consumer aren't stupid businesses are businesses to make money so we're not going to be like oh this brand is making profit so i don't like them um they are aware of, of what that you know what that entails obviously as long as those profits aren't too high um but it is it's i think that transparency aspect is a really interesting one around value because as you say people want to know where their money is going to and people are going to be really like it's difficult to talk about the consumer as one person right because you're going to have people who are in the luxury premium sector who may not feel the hit as much or they'll feel it but it'll be completely different to how someone uh, on the other end of the scale is going to feel sort of and how they're going to cut back on what they spend on um, and things like that and that again I think is where really important what you said there about value not just being about price because it is 
to a lot of people, but it's also what I value is going to be different to what you value, I presume, Sam. Like if you gave me £10 and you £10 or €10 or $10, I'm sure we'd probably spend it in different ways. Like if we had the same, you know, because we we just value certain things differently. So I think that is becomes really important, I think, to know what your consumers want, how your consumers behave um, and what they're going to be looking for. So I think that's a really important thing when it comes to value because there's so many different ways to look at it. And let's be honest, although we don't want prices to go up and everyone, uh, particularly uh, I'm sitting in the UK and as as I know you are as well, uh, and obviously we're looking at things like energy prices going up and we can sit and moan and it looks horrendous. However, prices of a lot of things are going to continually continue to go up. And for some consumer goods industries, the price, in, the price hike impact hasn't been felt yet. So it hasn't been pushed onto the consumer yet. It could get worse in six months' time. So again, having those open value conversations becomes um, really important and really interesting. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned the ordinary there as, a, as an example of being transparent. It, it's, that definitely seems to be the way. It's not to say that, as you say, it's not to say that everyone's going to be happy. Like, oh, they told us, so I must be happy with it. Um, but I think it is going to be very interesting, I think, just to see how sort of brands can communicate, how you can talk with your own communities as well. Um, and as I say, it's on different ends of the scale because I know that when we asked consumer questions in our G36 data around value, we asked on that sort of lower end of scale of thinking about budgets and what people were looking to buy. But we also asked people as well if they think it's worth paying more for products of a higher quality. And we still see uh, in some markets, it's, it's or globally, it's about sort of one in, one in five consumers, one in five, one in six consumers who actually say that they do think it's worth paying more for products of a higher quality. So despite sort of these uh, restraints or constraints coming onto consumers, they are still willing to spend where they see the quality or where they see the value. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head that there will be some consumers who can afford to carry on spending more for better quality. Um, and you, you know, you need, you want, you know, some brands will want to cater to those consumers and that's, you know, a good space to be in. And on top of that, I think there's definitely, there's a real opportunity where I feel like a lot of brands and companies miss out in terms of more focus on rewarding loyalty than attracting new consumers. So you see it all the time. You see so many you know promotional um advertisements anything from you know get 20 percent off your first first purchase with a retailer or you get you know things like um new customers for various different um you know mobile phone contracts things like that actually you know then you're then those consumers will be loyal to you will stay with you for a couple of years and then you'll hype the prices up and i think things like that are going to be come under a lot more scrutiny in terms of actually, you know, where the, why are you, why are you giving your new customers a better price than you're mm. giving existing customers? Um, and things like that, again, will just come into, I think, a little bit more, under a bit more scrutiny. Yeah, I kind of feel like that flipped as well. But when we talk about like energy prices, it became really weird because there's been such this focus on new customer acquisition uh, for all consumer goods companies, not just in energy. But there's always been this focus on new customers and the, the perks that they can get. But actually, during this sort of uh, cost of living energy crisis, it's almost gone the other way to the point where there are no be- no better deals to switch companies. It's actually this case of actually we need to actually look after our current customers. And although we can't offer you amazing deals. Um, I know there have been certain energy, energy companies who are saying, well, actually, we can offer because you're a customer, we can offer you these deals. So it's an interesting sort of flip 
I think on that sort of, um, rather than focusing just on new customer acquisition, the customer retention strategy becomes really important. And again, I think that's where, again, this, this concept of value changes things a little bit. So again, it's interesting to see how companies can deal with sort of subscriptions or any of those sort of customer communities they already have. They can be the really important ones to nurture. I think as well. So again, connecting with those consumers becomes um, really, really important because again, it's you're building value and justifying that value to the consumer. Um, I mean, on, as I say, on the other end of the scale, though, the great thing I saw in the G36 data that we've just got back as well is also that um, there are consumers as well who are budgeting and stick to budgets as much as possible. So as much as people say it's, we're willing to pay more, for some people, obviously, we, we can't pay more. So we are still budgeting. We are sticking to that budget. We are saving on certain elements of our spend so that we can afford other things. Do you think priority is a, plays a big role in, in, value, in that sort of value proposition then for consumers? And how do you think brands and companies, I mean, because it's, it's such a difficult one because obviously m- money is such a, a ruler of this situation, but how do we play in that sort of priority arena? Yeah, I guess it's just knowing knowing who your customer is, knowing what they want and knowing what they prioritise, I guess, and how that fits in in terms of consumers are going to be cautious and they're going to be, as I say, just scrutinising what they're buying a little bit more. So I think that's where things like, I mean, for you know, for us, say, in beauty, it's about thinking about new product development and what products you have in your pipeline and are those going to meet the consumer's needs? Are they going to be... The products that they want or are you just you know filling or expanding your product range unnecessarily so really thinking about you know what actually what consumers are going to be looking for because i know as well as the um, statement around sticking to the budget we have data on you know the percentage of consumers who look out for things that make their life easier so in beauty and personal care does that mean we'll see you know more shift towards multifunctional products and how you can and more kind of hacks around that you know you see it on social media constantly now in terms of how you can use the same beauty product for multiple different uses and and so actually it's just around thinking about actually who is my consumer what do they need what do they want and how can i serve those needs and i guess it's you know might sound quite basic but it is just kind of paying attention to that and really thinking about actually if if this is how consumers are really feeling over the next year how can we support them and how can we make them still be able to you know if they are a bit financially concerned how can they still invest and buy into us as a brand is it that actually we offer products you know find ways or solutions to offer products that are slightly lower price or, or services even so even things like you know offering express services that speedy services because they're a little bit more cost effective you know offering slightly smaller pack sizes so that consumers don't actually have to spend more on a product if they just want that small kind of indulgent treat is it you know so really thinking about the different ways that you can kind of just help consumers and support them and you know thinking about those different things and how that fits with your product pipeline or how you're going to position services over the next couple of years is definitely going to be important. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned multifunctional there as well, because I kind of feel like multifunctional products always seem to go in waves. And it always, especially when we have any sort of thinking about the recession, you mentioned the lipstick effect as well. You've mentioned all the buzzwords today, Sam, basically, (laughs) which is perfect. But it does seem to go in these waves where multifunction becomes a really important product format then because as you said it does it is cost effective for people but 
there's so much more behind that value driver. So as you say, convenience becomes really important. I remember yesterday we were speaking with our household colleagues and they were talking a lot about how uh, beauty substitute, or not beauty substitutes, sorry, uh, in household, household substitutes are being used for different cleaners for different purposes. Did we have a multi-purpose product that could be used for a number of different uh, things? Uh, it's about getting the most out of that product as well. So limiting waste. There's another driver behind um, what we can see coming out of this. So it's really interesting. I, I'm fascinated by these these hacks that you mentioned um, and sort of this this sort of substitution um, sort of concept that potentially comes out of here. And I think, I also think coming off the back of the pandemic, and it's obviously still in the pandemic, but coming through the last couple of years, um, we have seen consumers almost sort of the, intru- the, the innovation from consumers themselves has been really ingenious uh, in terms of sort of some of the DIY hacks we saw. Some of them, of course, not always safe, worth pointing mm-hmm. that out. Uh, but it is really interesting just to see how some of those trends when we couldn't get our hands on certain products or we were, tr- we had to make up our own sort of, uh, sort of solutions at home. Those kind of, behaviors, whilst not every behavior from the pandemic is going to continue, and we know that we've already seen a lot of behaviors drop off already. Um, but it is interesting, again, just to see how was that almost good preparation for a cost of living crisis in the sense of how to get the most out of products, how to get the best out of products, if we do need to substitute, or if we do need to find better ways to do things, can we slow down our consumption? For example, buying less products, buying the only products that do something for us, that make us feel good about ourselves. Um, I do think it's really interesting. I wonder for this this idea of sort of mixed retail and mixed services going forward where we will shop online because, again, the pandemic has accelerated that, though we were doing that before. That's going to be really important. But there's also a real importance to offline. And we don't live in a world now where you're either an online shopper or an offline shopper. We do. I think that mixed service going forward is going to become really important and really interesting to look at as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't agree more. Um, I think we've got, I mean, you will know as well, Andrew, I feel like one of the big buzzwords at the minute is the metaverse. And all our clients want to know what they should be doing about the metaverse. And obviously that is something to pay attention to and watch, but it's one thing that I, I definitely keep thinking about and keep wanting to explore is this idea of actually, you know, we see so much focus and energy being put on that. And as you say, we've seen, you know, a huge online boost during the pandemic and that will inevitably have a legacy impact and i feel like actually now the conversations around the legacy impact that that will have are being overshadowed a little bit by conversations about the metaverse which is still a very you know abstract kind of construct at the minute for most consumers at least mm. um, and actually what i think there's more opportunities you know thinking about you know so Say if we think about things that we have seen in the metaverse so far, actually, it's things like, you know, replicating virtual stores um, or replicating physical stores virtually, so online versions of physical retail spaces and the physical retail spaces that we're used to. But, I mean, it might just be my personal opinion, but I don't really think that's necessarily what people want. And actually, I think the bigger opportunity at the minute is almost the reverse. So thinking about how consumers shop online how they behave online and actually what how that translates into how they shop so i think that's you know really paying attention to some of those behaviors is really going to become much more important so one thing that we all say you know thinking about again not to bring it back to beauty but i'm sure it's mirrored in other categories is really paying attention to actually how online has changed the purchase journey so things like 
now consumers when they're looking for a new skincare product can go online and literally look so say they want to look for a cleanser they will browse by cleansers they don't browse by brand similarly if consumers want to look for some eco-friendly alternatives to the products that they're using they can easily search and browse those products online or much more easily than they can in store so i think actually what this needs to happen is for retailers to pay a little bit more attention to actually some of those behaviors and how they will impact what consumers want and how consumers want the store environment to look so actually you know it's much more difficult as i say to kind of browse across multiple different of the same products a lot of stores are still set up that you shop by brand and i think with that there needs to be a lot more focus on curation and catering to you know really helping consumers find the right products helping them narrow down um their choice so to you know to go link back to one of the um old podcasts that i did a few years ago i think it was probably season two um we had an episode called buy this not that which looked at um why purchase decision making is getting more complex and essentially what we looked at in that was this idea that consumers are just overwhelmed with choice so i think there's real opportunity there to help them narrow down their choice and the online channel is much better at helping consumers narrow down their choice so i think like and again coming back to this idea that consumers research consumers do their homework now before they buy something they do go and look up you know what is the best product whether it be a tech product whether it be a beauty product whether it be a piece of clothing which is you know which is the item or the brand or the product that is going to best serve my needs and they can do that homework very easily online and actually that research process is often harder in store you can't kind of check how other people like you have mm. found or how have found their experience with that product so actually i think that's going to be interesting to pay attention to so one retailer that i would definitely always call out to pay attention to how they're building their stores is nike um so one piece of technology that i keep shouting about is it um, their inside track table which is essentially an RFID-enabled interactive footwear table, which basically allows you to get two sneakers and put them on this table, two different styles, and then compare them. So really looking at, you know, how those products differ from one another and actually which is going to be the best option for you personally. So I think things like that, you know, things like that coming into store, utilising in-store technology, and really just helping consumers find what they're looking for becomes, as I say, so much, so much more important. Yeah, I think it's a great point you make there as well about online and offline and sort of the experience because, again, so much of it is, is talking about one in relation to the other. And it's actually a case that they are com- two completely separate things. And I'm not saying, uh, obviously, we've seen this huge growth uh, and acceleration in online that obviously does threaten the high street. It does threaten um, sort of in store. However, it doesn't threaten to the point where it needs to be like, oh, well, now it's just all going to be online. We still know there's going to be a clamor for offline. And it's almost like, how do we, as you say, I think that's a really interesting thing of how do we try and match the experiences and why is this working and why is this working and why is it not working in either? Because, and I think that's important for the metaverse as well to go back to that point, because if we try and replicate the way we shop in the metaverse, much in the way that we do see it in video games a little bit, you can shop. But even when you shop in video games, and I do think video games is a good sort of blueprint or a good foundation for metaverse shopping to look at in terms of how you can shop in video games and the ease of it. Um, and well, the fact that you gamify sort of purchases as well um, is really interesting to look at. But I think that's really important because, again, the way that you can shop online 
rather than thinking, how do we take the offline into the online? What can we take from the online that would be very interesting to shop with offline as well? Because that, as you mentioned, that experience of just being able to find things a bit quicker. Like if we imagine if online shopping had all the problems that offline shopping had, where you go into a store and you go onto a website and you just, and immediately you're like, okay, I've I can't navigate myself. I'm finding trouble to do these things. And as you say, looking up things like reviews and recommendations, there's so many different aspects to both. I think the mixed solution is going to be the best solution going forward. And there's a lot to be taken from each one, I think, um, that then becomes really interesting. Um, I do also think it's really interesting that you bring up Nike uh, as a good example as well, because Nike, um, again, without sort of blowing too much, some of the things that they're doing right now with regards to sort of the, the the sneaker drops as well. So this drop culture, which again is kind of this mixed service, isn't it? Where you can create the hype online to a physical drop, a physical store sort of collection that you then go and do, like creating that hype, that buzz, and um, that sort of exclusivity around sort of fashion. And, and indeed, you can do it to other consumer goods. And I think that's a, a really interesting concept that we're seeing take off, particularly in urban areas, so much more in sort of cities um, than, than we see in, in more rural areas. But that's a really interesting sort of, mixed service that I think is interesting to look at going forward. And then going that step further to the metaverse, uh, I know Nike have looked at the uh, artifact creator platform where rather than creating a product into the, or introducing a product into the metaverse that is an online, an offline product that we put into the online, actually being able to create a product in the metaverse that we then, after the fact, then produce in the offline. So I think that kind of virtual first is going to be really interesting. Um, and again, it's it, it's interesting because there's so much to play with that, right? Because there aren't any real sort of limits or regulations or things in the metaverse right now. No, yeah, definitely. I think to bring, I mean, I think I'm glad you brought up the idea of kind of that virtual first. And I think we're already starting to see things like that coming through in kind of things like packaging. I feel like for a long time, a lot of brands went to this kind of very minimal, streamlined packaging you know monochrome colors and actually i think we're starting to see a shift away from that and i do think a part of that is standing out i think it's mm. you know we've got so much choice now we've got so much um you know so many brands and products vying for our attention and i think there's a there's a real you know opportunity there to almost you know hit consumers in the face with you know but bold splash of colour or, you know, something really innovative and creative. I remember was one example I've used in a few um, discussions with clients is there's um, an egg brand called Considered Pastures and you should look at their egg packaging. It's beautiful. And essentially it, when it's on shelf, it almost looks like a wallpaper. And, you know, that's not going to work for every egg brand. Um, and it will certainly probably influence the cost. And, you know, I'm sure they're eggs are come at a premium um so it's only going to work for certain brands but it's really not thinking about and you know not allowing kind of category expectations to dictate design and really thinking actually how do we stand out and as i say the i think that again will start to come through from a virtual first perspective it's that online scroll how many times do we find ourselves scrolling and scrolling through pages of products to find what we want um and I think there's something to be said for having something that really stands out and catches catches your eye. So I think we're starting to see much more playful, bold, colourful packaging and design start to come through. Mm, yeah, and I think, again, that online space in the metaverse is going to be really interesting to see how that evolves. We're very much at the 
the first steps into the metaverse. Like, I, I mean, I was, I was, I followed like a Twitter thread the other day, which was quite funny about how uh, it's interesting. You mentioned the aesthetics of the packet of this egg packaging and how lovely it is because that's the one big criticism of the metaverse right now. I don't know if you've sort of gone into any metaverses yet, Sam, but they are a little bit clunky. They're a little bit awkward. And there was a whole thread I saw on Twitter, which was basically slating it being like, we've invested billions and billions of dollars into this metaverse. And it looks like a much worse version of, it basically looks like a Nintendo 64 game. Like it, it does, there's no sort of considering like some of the video games we have out there, it just doesn't even match up. And it's really interesting because that's the easiest way to slate it. And it is still a growing concept and it definitely isn't mainstream. So, you know, we haven't got the buy-in of everyone yet. So not everyone is obviously in the metaverse. So it is still sort of building and there is going to be this evolution and it isn't going to be perfect straight away. The one thing I would say though that is exciting is that um, if you think about some of the most popular video games of recent times, things like Roblox or uh, Minecraft, they're not particularly aesthetically pleasing games. However, they're very well used. Like the gamer numbers on a daily basis for these communities is huge. And so I think that is interesting from the, you know, the metaverse point of view of if we can have that kind of community. And as you say, if we can have these virtual first sort of uh, product launches or drops, again, engaging those types of communities can become really interesting uh, to look at. So there's, I, I'm definitely, it's me sort of saying, let's not get carried away. It's not like the, you know, as you say, the offline is still, in, you know, go out, you know, look out of a window, read a book, live in the real world. But it is really interesting as well to see the possibilities and the capabilities. We really don't even knowing what it fully is going to be like in the metaverse. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I'm going to, that just reminds me, I was chatting with one of my amazing team members recently and she, she, kept, she came up with such a gem of a quote where she was talking about the importance of, really focusing on the idea of community within the metaverse. So actually the metaverse is quite scary and it, for a lot of people it makes them feel like we're going to end up being isolated in these strange virtual worlds, kind of devoid of human contact and interaction. Actually, she said the thing that will persuade consumers to move into the metaverse is this, this idea of being able to be part of a community within that space. And as part of that, she said, you know, community was almost, I think the quote was something like, you know, communities will help us find the door to the metaverse, you know, it will help us understand where to go and where to sit within that virtual world. And I think that is something to definitely pay attention to. I think that is going to be so key. Yeah. And also, I, it's a good point as well, because I think it's so easy. It's so basically so easy to be skeptical. It's like one of the easiest things to be is always to knock the new thing. And I think I always go back to, there's always a famous quote from Raymond Lowy, who was like this uh, American, French American designer, which was uh, most advanced, yet acceptable. This idea that you can have the most advanced thing in the world, but you do need that familiarity. You've probably heard me say this a million times, Sam, so you're probably really bored by it. But it is this idea that you need to make some sort of connection. It, it, it just to that point where it's kind of like if you'd gone back and pitched the idea of Snapchat or TikTok to someone 20, 30 years ago, they, they wouldn't have a clue like, or they wouldn't see the value of it. In the same way that when people first pitched something like an MP3 player and iPod, iPods and things like that, it didn't really make much sense. Like if you'd gone back to like in the 90s, you said to someone you can walk around with literally tens of thousands of songs in your pocket. Again, people can't quite fathom it. So I always think that's quite an interesting thing to look at as well in terms of the opportunities that are there are vast. And as I say, this, this, what you mentioned there about the communities, I think it's really interesting to see how that people, people and communities and consumers, they're going to be that connection 
for brands because they're the ones that are going to make these things live and breathe. They're the ones who are going to sort of decide whether this is a hit or a miss. You know, it's going to decide whether you're the iPod or the mini disc player. So it's kind of interesting, I think, to see. Also, shout out to the mini disc player. I, I, I missed that thing. I loved, I loved the mini disc player. Um, I didn't mean to put it in such a bad light there, but it is this, as I say, it is this idea that consumer will be sort of the, the judge at the end of the day. And I do think that I, the drivers behind the metaverse, i.e. things like community, I think are a really important thing to sort of think about and factor in. And I should also use this point as well to probably plug uh, in this series, in series four of Mintel's Conversation, we have had three um, episodes. If you go back uh, just a couple of episodes ago, we've had three episodes, one on the metaverse specifically, one on cryptocurrencies, and one also on non-fungible tokens, NFTs. So if this kind of stuff is your bag and you want to hear more about that, we do have uh, other podcasts on that. And that is a nice segue for me to then say to you, Sam, because I just realized the time and I could, as always, talk to you forever. But I do want to, because this is our 100th episode, I do want to also recap maybe on some of our favorite episodes or maybe give a shout out to some of our episodes over the years. Um, I've got a couple that I've picked out. I don't know if you have a couple yourself. Um, I don't know if you want to kick us off with any, but I thought it would be good to, yeah, shout out to sort of some of the the great hosts and also the gets great guests and some of the great topics that we've discussed uh, in sort of the years have gone by. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you let you kick off on that one. Okay, so my first one is was back in series uh, season one. Uh, so I think it was episode 12. So if, just for anyone who's sort of listening and thinks, oh, I want to go back and listen to that. Um, our great colleague, Dana, uh, she had a... Um, a podcast that was basically looking at fake news and looking at the future of fake news. And I thought this was really interesting because she had uh, guests on from um, our media team, from our trends team, from our leisure team and our tech team. And it was all looking at how sort of trust and credibility um, was basically being viewed on in, in sort of in sort of mainstream media, how people were then sort of uh, sort of questioning mainstream media. Uh, and I thought this is really interesting because as I was looking back over episodes and re-listening to some episodes, um, although it was only a couple of years ago, it's really interesting because that idea around trust and credibility um, and sort of dealing with fake news, although it isn't quite as prevalent uh, now as maybe, you know, I remember sort of five years ago, we were talking about fake news a lot more. I just thought it was really interesting that those values, those key concepts are still very valid today. And it definitely things that brands are needing to look for. And I think because of the pandemic as well, that idea around substantiation, trust and credibility is so important, no matter what consumer goods industry you're in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you touched on it, we touched on it a little bit briefly before when we were chatting about, you know, finding, you know, strange social media hacks that you know are not always necessarily safe or true um and you know so things like that that becomes more important in terms of you know we, you get one piece of advice one day and then you get another piece of advice of somebody different on social media the next day and i think that will inherently mean that the more that consumers will start to turn and look for expertise and people who can really actually direct them in the right way in the right place and i think it's one thing you know one thing that we've chatted about recently in beauty is that actually you know say if you take into consideration things like the cost of living crisis consumers are going to be be wanting to know that they're buying the right thing for them so actually does that make them more likely to go and seek out advice and how do they do that do they do that you know where do they go for that advice i feel like mm. their online channel and social media influencers have 
been a great source of advice because they're less biased than some of the, you know, say, for example, retail assistants and store assistants. But actually, as, you know, as again, we've seen on, you know, as in various different cases where, you know, some of the advice that these people give and share is not always backed by any kind of expertise. So it's not going to be the right advice or the expertise. So I think that is one thing that's definitely going to be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of not necessarily fake news, but fake fake advice or fake, I don't know what you would call it, but, you know, thinking about that angle and how that then builds into something similar around kind of spreading misinformation. Indeed, indeed. And actually, that's a, sort of talking about sort of misinformation, looking at credible sources. That brings you on to the second uh, sort of area that I was looking at, was then looking at, again, how do we, if we want evidence, we want proof, we want sort of data to back up, back everything up that we do. And so one of, one of the other episodes that I listened to uh, just recently that, again, was really interesting, and again, I think it's worth going back to listen to, was um, episode 29, which was in season two, I think. And that was um, our colleague, Andrew, um, and Andrew Davidson, he spoke to a number of our sort of data bods here at Mintel. Um, I believe it was Toby, Ben, and Mark that he spoke to. And it was all about, well, the discussion was all around the business of insights. And kind of, it was nice because it's kind of like a, not not sort of self-promotion, but it was kind of this idea of, at Mintel, we have so much data, uh, as you know, like all the product information, the market sizing, the consumer data, everything that goes into it. But then what we do with that and the storytelling and the different levels of insights, I thought it was really interesting and really nice as well to, rather than just saying we at Mintel, we do this, this and this, it was nice that they kind of broke down what business insights means for us and how we go about sort of using that data. So I thought that was quite an interesting um, sort of way to, I think it was, I think it was the kickoff of season two. I'm not sure, but it was, a, it was a really interesting episode to sort of break down that. And again, I think that kind of holds strong now as well. This idea that again, having that data behind decisions that you make is, is really important. Yeah. And I think I'm going to jump on that. And I think what, I think, um, you know, what comes through time and time again is, collaboration you know i think mintel works so well as a business because nobody knows everything we don't know it all you know not one individual at mintel that can tell you everything you need to know and where your brand what they should be doing where they should be heading and what products they should be developing but we have a huge team with you know glow you know globally who we can reach out to and get you know advice and expertise on you know different specialisms and how different things work and learn from one another and i think that just becomes so important it's that idea we've seen you know we've seen from you know from a commercial perspective we know how you know things like collaborations in a you know say a brand perspective you know we've seen that those collaborations can um you know create more hype around products open brands up to new customers and things like that but actually from a if you think about it from a more inward looking view you know collaboration is so important just to pay attention and just listen and to take on board and you know find solutions and i think actually that i'm going to do a bit of self-promotion spotlight an episode from season three which i did with um joe chidley for the founder of the beauty kitchen and it, for anybody who's interested in you know, sustainability in that episode, we kind of looked at the value of sustainability from a brand perspective. So Joe has done huge amounts of work in terms of making the beauty industry more sustainable. A huge part of that conversation was this idea that actually no one brand, no one person can make change the world. But actually, the more we collaborate and the more we lean on each other, 
that actually that's where we can actually start to drive some real change and actually on top of that layering that in so that's why we're seeing you know things like you know more coalitions coming together you know we've definitely seen it in beauty more beauty brands who would usually be competitors working together to kind of tackle things like sustainability and um, issues but actually really had um interesting conversation we had an intern working with us recently and she wrote a piece for us about afro hair care she was looking at you know brands who are doing really well and have done an awful lot one of the examples she pulled out was pound 10 who had its um who did a great campaign called my hair won't be silenced looking at um you know hair discrimination and how that impacts and then how the brand has you know sought to tackle that not only in the products that it's formulating but also in its campaigns and conversations around stimulating conversations around that issue and one of her insights was actually again was about there's brands who have actually made positive strides in spaces like that. So in things like diversity and inclusion, the next step for them is to bring brands along with them and educate other brands in terms of how they can also um, start to address some of these issues. So no longer kind of sitting on those things that need to happen, those big industry changes that you know need to happen. Actually, it's no longer about kind of making that your competitive edge. It's no longer about making that your unique selling point. What actually consumers are going to resonate and value so much more from a brand is them seeing that you put in the work to help others move along the same path and make change. So I think, yeah, it's again, it's again to bring it back to Mintel, it is it's that idea of just listening and you know helping one another out and really helping each other to drive some of that really important change that needs to happen. Just just in you talking there as well, Sam, you, you've just made me remember so many other episodes we've had as well because you mentioned sustainability and immediately I'm thinking about the sustainability barometer uh, episode you did with Richard Cope, which I think was season three. Um, yeah, it was the 2021 uh, barometer and I know he's just launched the 2022 barometer as well. So it needless to say, we'll probably be talking to Richard uh, and a number of our other colleagues as well in future episodes about these topics as well because it's obviously an, an ever-evolving situation. And I remember myself sitting down down, uh, again, I think it was Richard Cope seems to be on the podcast a lot. He's a great man. Uh, I remember sitting down with Richard uh, and Tonya and Toya um, in the US teams uh, a couple of years ago now. Um, and we spoke about um, sort of inclusivity and sort of DEI. And it was very much kind of around we're really just scratching like the it's just it, at that stage, it was just we're making little noises. But as you say, it kind of needs to become more of the norm. And I think sustainability and inclusivity are really interesting topics because they're almost not trends. They're actually just way, they're ways of business. So I found those really fascinating topics uh, that we've discussed uh, on the podcast. And I know, um, I think it might have been Alicia that followed up with a, another episode uh, on inclusivity trends a couple of years later. Um, I think that would have been in last season um, or maybe at the start of this season. Uh, and I know, again, those are going to be topics that we we talk about in the future. Um, I know, needless to say, we're probably going to talk more about metaverses in the future. I don't know if there's anything in particular. Do you have a wish list of things you want to talk about um, or that you want to hear about even uh, for sort of upcoming episodes? I mean... I, get, I presume, I know we've discussed value today a lot. I know that we've discussed cost of living in the past. I presume those types of topics will come up because, again, they're things that we get asked about a lot. Uh, but are there any sort of real interesting areas that you think to yourself, actually, you know what, I'd quite like to, I know I've put you on the spot here, but, but are there anything you just think, I'd quite like to do a podcast on that, or that would be quite interesting to, to hear about? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I mean, as you've just said, there's loads more we can explore with diversity and inclusion. I feel like we've only scratched the surface of that. Um, on top of that, I know we were 
chatting about it uh, the other day was um, the episodes about the future of cities. And I'd love to kind of go back and revisit that and start to um, and start to think about actually what does that look like now? What is the future of cities and how does that look as we move forward to really thinking about, you know, as I was, t- you know, linking back to what we were talking about earlier, the how stores need to evolve in response to consumers and also how, you know, other spaces need to start to evolve. So things like, you know, how do offices look in, uh, you know, 20 years time? What do, you know, how does, what does work look like? What does, so it's really thinking about some of those, some of those big shifts and how actually things are gonna, gonna change. Yeah. I, as you're mentioning it there, I'm literally thinking like, yeah, I'd quite like to hear. About, I'd like, quite like to hear more about sort of how spaces are going to evolve and how important that's going to be because I think that's going to be a big thing again in how we connect with consumers are those spaces because that's again that those spaces can be online or offline or wherever so uh, the physical space is going to be really interesting to see how that evolves um, so yeah I think yeah I I look forward to that podcast uh, when you end up you've, you've said it now as well um, I'm going to so throw that, it back to you though anything else you want to um I'm not sure. I think I'm always fascinated by new tech and I'm always fascinated as well by things I don't fully understand. So I really love looking at what is happening in other industries or what research has been done that could potentially be moved into beauty. So I like when I look at like uh, um, sort of health like research has been done in health, for example, uh, on like regenerative cells and things like that. I always think really fascinating to look at that. What could that mean? Very selfishly, what could that mean for skincare? You know, this idea that, okay, if we're 3D printing stuff, if we're 3D printing hearts and organs for people, 3D printing skin should be, isn't going to be as intricate as that. So again, where are we going? Where are the next steps there? So I always think it's really interesting to look at other categories and just think, oh, how can we basically steal your ideas and make them go forward? So maybe that's going to be something I look at going forward is just an episode on stealing ideas. Um, because again, I just think it's fascinating to look at sort of innovations in all different industries. So I think that would be something uh, quite interesting to look at. Um, and also, I just love the the, the team we work in because we have a lot of different interests. I know that there's going to be topics that uh, yourself or indeed Andrew is going to come up with. That I'm going to be like, I never thought of that, but that would actually be sort of really interesting to listen to. And one thing I will say, though, is I know we could go on like this for ages, and I feel like we possibly have. Uh, so I do apologize for keeping you, um, but we do have to probably leave it there. Um, thank you so much uh, for joining me in this sort of conversation and for putting up with my rambling ways, Sam. Uh, you've done it for 100 episodes now. Uh, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, as this is our 100th episode, as I've mentioned, uh, of Mintel Little Conversation, I'd like to say to our listeners, uh, which currently is across 59 countries, uh, on behalf of myself, uh, Sam, I don't want to speak for you, but uh, on behalf of our fellow hosts, uh, past and present, and all of the team behind Little Conversation, uh, a big thank you. Uh, we do truly appreciate the time uh, that you take to listen to us, uh, to sort of give any feedback to us. Uh, and we're really honored to take up space in your podcast rotation. Uh, but the conversation, of course, doesn't end there. Uh, if you head over to Mintel's LinkedIn or if you head over to our Instagram, uh, and we'll put all sort of relevant links sort of below wherever you're getting this information or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. Uh, but please let us know what you think. We'd love to hear what your favorite episodes are, uh, your ideas for topics as well we're always interested to know what people want to hear more about uh, because as i say we want to hear more about it too as soon as we hear it so um we can definitely look to tackle with anything like that over the coming months uh, and if you do want to learn more about mintel as well head over to mintel.com check out our blog uh, sign up for the free uh, mintel spotlight newsletter that we have uh, and make sure you never miss an episode
episode either by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but once again, Sam, thank you so much um, for today. Uh, thank you for your insights and thank you for hosting and all of your insights um, over all of the episodes that you featured on uh, over the last hundred. Yeah, thank you as well. It's been a great hundred episodes over the years. And thanks also to all of our amazing guests that we've had on all of the years. We definitely could never have done any of it without all of those as well. That's a great point, actually, because otherwise it would just be us sort of sitting there just talking to no one. So, yeah, definitely thanks to the to the guests. Uh, and as I say, thanks, basically thanks to everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, here's to 100 more. Uh, but goodbye for now. And we'll catch you next time for another episode of Little Conversation. Little Conversation.